I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. On World of Social Media, happy Friday if you're listening to the podcast on a Friday. If you're watching on the live stream on any of the different destinations we are currently on, that would be Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Then you guys are in for a really big treat because today we've got theoretical trade Thursday, or if you're listening on a Friday, fake trade Friday. We've got the three man <laughs> weave here. Everything's going to be great. Some outlandish stuff. So uh, I'm joined by Mr. Greg Manakis, Mr. Will Weir, co host of the Celtics Blood podcast and also host of the Green with Envy podcast. What's going on, my guys? What's good, man? How we doing? I'm feeling really good. Um, I have not been on the, the Facebook live stream yet. This is my first time here. Uh, so I'm feeling good. Everyone that's been listening to my voice on the pod now gets to see my beautiful face. So what up, everybody? I've been working on the mustache, trying to keep up Ooh. with you guys. I don't know about all that. I don't know about beauty. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot to have to keep up with here with the facial hair. Me and Adam, we bring the heat every time. So we'll, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll you know what? Well, we'll have to see what the people say. You know, we're live right now. So they get to see the faces. They get to see the trims or the not trims. And they get to let us know what they think. I mean, I just need to get my beard hooked up, man. But every time I try and get to the barbers, they've either got no appointments left or I'm just too lazy to find a different barber, you know? like uh, um, dude, once, you, ju- once, once you find a barber you like, you got to stick with them. That's, well, that's this is the thing, right? Like, I've moved, so I haven't got a barber around here. So it's if mm. I, ever, I ever do the drive back to my old, like, Mm-hmm. stamping ground and go to that barber but he's like booked up for like three months in advance or i take the plunge and start just testing out barbers until i find one that i'm kind of cool with and uh that means like luckily i wear a lot of hats so if they do make some mistakes it, no one's really gonna know because i wear a lot of hats but at the same time there's gonna be times i don't want to wear a hat and i need to look like at the moment for anyone watching it's a mess <laughs> it's bad um i'm gonna put the hat back on in a moment yeah please so, yeah, do but, yeah i mean i mean i'm bad dude like i don't know what's going on here man i'm gone all e- well i was emo anyway but i've gone more emo um, uh we, we we need we need the gordon hayward version i mean that's that's the adam taylor that that i know and love the one that's that's got the nice little quaff going where he's pretty much you know oh, the british the part, version of part, yeah he's got his he's got that uk gordon hayward vibe to him so do I know something? One of my biggest regrets from all the interviews I've ever done since being part of Celtics Blog, you know, all the different people I've spoke to, was not asking Gordon Hayward what hair product he used in his hair. Mm. That was one of my biggest regrets. Like, you know, because his hair never falls. Like, not one strand is out of place. He could run for 48 yeah. minutes, dunk over someone, hit 14 free. I mean, he ain't hitting no 14 frees. But even if he did, <laughs> that hair has not moved. And I just do not understand how that's happening. I, I need that hair product in my life. Yeah, but do you, do you think that his wife is able to, like, get her hand out of that hair? Is she even able to get her hand into the hair? Or is it just, like, a turtle shell on the top of his head? Because if it's a turtle oh. shell, I don't know if it's worth it, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming he showers after the game suit so comes out. Otherwise, she ain't going to want to touch him anyway. He's just been running around for 48 minutes. <laughs> So, uh, so, you getting, like, so you think it's like strictly game product. So it's almost like he's wearing a helmet. I mean, granted, it's Gordon Hayward. He could use some safety devices. He's been, <laughs> it's been known to get injured. So, you know, t- taking safety as a precautionary is not a, not a bad idea. I'm just saying, right? Like, man, I really wish I asked because there's times where, like, you know, I have my hair cut. I go to the gym. I do a sport where my hair is going to end up messy anyway. What if I want to look pretty when I walk out of there? I don't want to have to redo my hair. I want to get out of there as fast as possible. I'm half dead. So like having it look nice straight away would be would definitely be beneficial to me. One one more comment before we move on because I know we got to get into some real stuff here. So the moment I knew that I like kind of got out of my young adult and became an actual man, well I, you know, that's still debatable am I an actual man or not. But when I assumed I was an actual man was when I was able to have product in my hair, go to the gym, get home, and not have a pimple on my face. That was a big moment for me, man. Because that product, if that starts dripping down your face, you get it, you know, starts mixing with the oils and the sweat and everything. That's not good for everybody. So that was like my big moment where I was like, you know what, Greg Manakis, you are now a man. You no longer get pimples when you work out. So the time I remember that I became a dad was the day that I looked in the mirror. My hair was an absolute mess, and I thought I'm just going to throw a hat and I'll be fine. 
And that's been that way for 11 years. So um, I've been, <laughs> you've got that to look forward <laughs> because uh, it definitely changes. I used to love to make sure my hair was perfect. You know, you want to look good. You, you're representing yourself. You're representing your little family. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, I don't care who, what people think I'm representing. I'm representing comfortable. I haven't slept in 14 weeks. I need comfortable. So uh, it's it's hard, man. It's hard. Hey, not not going to lie, guys. I'm feeling a little excluded over I here. I was just uh, about to throw some shade your way. Just about to throw some shade. I know. Follically yeah, so, shaming yeah. me over here. This is an inclusive show here. We we include <laughs> all the baldies. Yeah, just like Will doesn't know what to say right now. Maybe yeah. he's got some certain type of wax that he's using to... <laughs> I'm only joking, dude. I'm throwing no shade. Anyway, like five minutes in, we've done our usual little bit of banter. Let's jump into some basketball discussions. So as we said, this is going to be theoretical trade Thursday, fake trade Friday, but listening on the podcast. But before that, we're going to do a vibe check. So we're going to do one reason to be happy and one reason to drink. So good and bad. So we're going to go, we're going to start with happy vibes, right? Who wants to take the happy vibe first? I got this one. I'll take. I'll, I'll yeah. get us started on the right foot here. You know, even though you guys excluded me with all the hair talk, you know, I feel like it's only right that I, I get to go first in this segment. So <laughs> that's fair. I understand that. Yeah, you know, it's all about equity on this program. So you know, for me, what I'm going to start with, I'm going to go with Jason Tatum's field goal percentage over the last five games. So we talked a lot about on this show about, and just in general, any Celtics fan has talked about Jason Tatum shooting and how he's shooting career lows both from the field and three point range. So. Over the last five games, here's his field goal percentage numbers, starting with the win against Philly. We had 45%, 48%, 52.9%, 59.1%, and 45% against the Clippers. That is an upward trajectory that I am on board with. We've talked about a lot of the problems the Celtics have had. Are some of them potentially just solved with Jason Tatum shooting like Jason Tatum? Well, last five games, we're heading more in that direction. So that's going to be the vibe that I'm choosing to selectively rock with from what we've watched over the last couple of games. Yeah, JT's been killing it. Um, when Adam and I were on the pod on Sunday, you know, I went into those numbers on uh, what JT was was shooting and doing on the court without Jalen Brown, um, which also coincided with the Celtics playing good basketball. And, you know, the sample size clearly wasn't big enough because right after that pod, the Celtics played two stinkers back to back. And it's pretty clear that the Celtics probably need Jalen Brown on the court to go along with Jason Tatum, which, um, you know, we talked about that. But JT's been killing it. JT's absolutely been killing it. Um, the one thing I would like to see a little bit more out of him is just like figuring out a way to make those cross court passes with a little bit more oomph on him. He seems like he's not really trusting that cross court pass right now. Yeah, those, those, were, those were brutal versus the versus the Clippers last yeah. night. If you're watching on, if you're watching live last night, or if you're listening on Wednesday night, like I felt like half of those, maybe maybe more than half of them, never even had a chance. Like as soon as you saw it, it was just it, it was it was really hard to comprehend. But yeah, it's a good call out. What up, Roy Tack? He says we're a few years away from bringing one home. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we can we can be like a couple of years. I feel like a few implies that it's more than two. And I would like to win a championship in the next couple of years. So I'm gonna I'm well, gonna call it a couple of years. I mean, if we're sticking to the theoretical trade Thursday type of rule, then ideally what we're about to do is gonna get you a chip within the next six to eight months. Let's go. I like it. I like it. You know? But before we get there, we need more good vibes. We need more positive vibes. So what you got for us, Greg? Well, the good thing about an 82-game NBA season is there's always more basketball. So we have a big game <laughs> against the Phoenix Suns uh, tomorrow night or tonight if you listen on the pod. And if we, win, if we win the game against the Suns or play really well against the Suns, then, you know, the last two games in L.A., maybe we can forget about them because we're, we're such a reactionary society. So maybe coming off of this trip, you know, would you rather have won the game last night against the Clippers, a game that we should have won, and then lost to the Suns spectacularly, or lost to the Clippers last night and then beat the Suns going into a five-game homestand? Yeah, ever the optimist. This is why we're called Black Sheep Optimists. My man down here in Austin, Texas, man. Got to find a positive way to spin this. Because if we win against the Suns and we beat the defending champs, then I think you might be able to call this disastrous road trip a success. And then we have a five-game homestand, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yo, so I need to say sorry, because <laughs> I laughed when you said, oh, there's always more basketball to be played, because I'm like, yo, there's no positives from the last few weeks. <laughs> and, then, and then I see Will trying to hold in a laugh, so that makes me laugh more. And then, oh, man. 
I felt like I feel so guilty. I just laughed most of the way through that. I'm so yeah, I, all, all I could think about during that whole oh. statement that Greg just gave is, man, Jay Z. This is this is not a statement for Jay Z. This is the moral victory, you know, all star all star statement, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Man, I'm so sorry. I was li- I've literally been crying. Just that was like, hard to get through with you guys dying laughing. <laughs> I'm looking at Will and Will's like trying not to laugh. Oh man, just because you were just like. So there's always more basketball because the basketball we've played has not been good. Yeah. Technically <laughs> true. Technically, it true. is very true. Very true. I think that's what made me laugh. I just didn't expect it. Uh, so my, <laughs> so my um, my reason to be happy is very similar. It's that we hear a lot about how Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can't play together. The last two losses have had no Jalen Brown, which means we cannot start throwing one of these two guys under the bus as a duo. We can only say that the unit seems far less cohesive without a fully fit Jalen Brown there. You know, the spacing has definitely been an issue. Um, I think that one thing people kind of overlook is how good JB is as a catch-and-shoot guy now. So having him on the on the weak side whenever Jaylen, whenever Tatum's driving or wherever somebody's trying to, like, drive, like, 45 cut or drive towards the drive middle, having Jalen Brown as your outlet has been huge. So not having him there... It sucks, but at least we're not having to put up with the, oh, it's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum not being able to play together, and that's the reason we're not winning right now. So that's the only good thing I've really got at the moment, <laughs> along with the fact that there's always more basketball to be played. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we miss JB terribly. Um, I think Ime on the broadcast last night, they mentioned how Ime put him at 90%, and they have said that he's not going to play until we're 100%. But we were actually playing decent basketball um, up until these last two games. So, you know, inconsistent, but the highs were high, the lows were low, and then um, that averages out to decent. So <laughs> with uh, with JB, hopefully, you know, getting closer to 100%, the Celtics will put him on the court sooner rather than later because, as we've talked about, we need him on the court um, not only to develop chemistry within Udoka's offense, but because you saw what happens when you play – you know, guys with upper echelon talent like LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, you need all your horses. And if you don't have all your horses, you're going to get left in the dust. And, um, you know, especially when you go up against Brandon Boston, uh, it's really tough to win. Apparently so, man. I mean, he went up. That was insane. 10 points in the the second quarter. When he hit that half-court shot, I was just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, and did you hear the Gorman call? Gorman, before he even released it, Gorman yeah, goes, well, this is probably going in. And then just, <laughs> bang, wet it. I was, yeah, I was very Mike, impressed by Mike. Mike's had, a, Mike's had a rough year, but he's had some moments. <laughs> I'll tell you what, like, um, I love Mike Gorman. I'll tell you what, I was watching, I, I had to re-watch that second quarter for the piece I wrote earlier where I was looking at what went wrong in that second, in that second quarter. And it was literally just... Brandon Boston decided, I'm going to absolutely destroy everybody. Ten points off turnovers, man. And he forced two of those turnovers himself. There was only seven in the entire quarter. So two of them came from him, and then he scored on a bunch of them as well. So uh, props to him, man. I mean, he, you know, he, he dedicated Boston beat Terrence, Boston. Yep, Terrence, um, dedicated it to Terrence Clark. So yeah, that was fair dope. play to him. I think we go to the reasons to drink now. So who wants to start with the reasons to drink? Why don't you start? Me, you want me to start? Okay, yeah, a reason I want you to, to drink. Yeah, let's just go reverse reason. order. We'll go reverse order here. Snake it. Okay. A reason to drink for me is the fact that Ima Udoka seems very, very set on his defensive rotations at the moment, and he's just not adjusting. Like you see, like if you watch the way that the Clippers played, they played a bit of man to man. They switched a bit. They used drop a little bit with Zubac. Then they went zone. Then they went box and one. They threw in a bunch of different defensive coverages just to keep the Celtics off guard. You know, as soon as the Celtics find a way to start attacking and find an offensive advantage, Tyloo would change up the defensive scheme. So now that advantage is gone and you need to start kind of go back to the drawing board and exploring what works as you figure it out. Boom, it's changed. Udoka's very much, this is how we're going to play defense. We might let Rob Williams drop for a little while. We'll switch to one through four switch and five drop. Then we might switch to man-to-man for a while, then all five switch. But there's no... Like I've rarely seen the Celtics play zone. We haven't seen any like mm-hmm. inventive defensive coverages, and he's just running with this throughout the game, even when the Celtics are getting cooked. And uh, for me, that's a reason to drink because the one thing you need from a coach is to be versatile and be agile like, in making decisions and making changes. And Udoka at the moment looks very, very 
stubborn would be the word that I'd probably choose. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I was also going to talk about Ime. Um, I don't want to bash Ime because we've talked about this, just like players have, um, you know, development that's not always linear. Coaches are the same way. This is Ime's first year as a coach. So there are going to be a lot of growing pains. That learning curve is going to be steep. Um, but you would hope to see a little bit more progression than we've seen because he has shown moments where he's willing to be inventive. But as we've said before, it always seems scripted. And whenever he has to go off script, he doesn't really have a good feel for the pulse of the game. And like he doesn't have enough um, to use a baseball analogy, arms in the bullpen in terms of strategy that he could go to. And it's it just killing me, man. It's really killing me because there are some obvious things that he could be doing that he's not. Uh, one thing in particular that stands out to me on the defensive end, there's that one game, I forget who we were playing, but he tried out a bunch of different like three-quarter and half-court traps that I actually really liked. Um, I, and in full disclosure, as I tweeted last night after uh, Brandon Boston hit that, <laughs> that three-pointer going into halftime, I literally said, I'm going to bed. I wrote, hell no, nah, I'm going to bed. And I went to bed. <laughs> so I did not watch that second half. I caught up with the game through the Celtics legend <laughs> uh, Twitter thread uh, on Twitter. Shout out to Celtics legend chat again. Um, so I don't know what actually happened in that second half. I don't know what adjustments he made or didn't make, but... I know that in general, Ima Adoka is scared to go off script and he doesn't really trust. Maybe it's, he doesn't trust his assistant coaches. He doesn't trust his eye. He just doesn't really see the game quick enough or doesn't know how to make those adjustments. Um, but it needs to happen. It needs to happen soon. Maybe it's a, the idea of like the separation is in the preparation. Maybe he's not as prepared for different scenarios and to separate yourself as a coach, you need to be the most prepared. That That's what makes Bill Belichick the best. That's what makes Popovich the best. They have prepared for every scenario. And I think he prepared for what he hopes is going to happen, what he expects to happen, but he's not prepared for worst case scenarios. And um, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's well said. We've, we've covered Udoka a lot on this podcast. I don't have, you know, a ton to add to that. But Greg, you know, you didn't watch the, the, the second half uh, against the Clippers, but that's that's kind of how they got back into it, was putting more pressure on the ball, you know, using more full court and three-quarter court and kind of mix up. It was, granted, it was still very erratic play and it, it wasn't the most intelligent basketball to watch, but they did get back in the game against an undermanned mm. team and put themselves in a position to win, you know, but... It, it, like you said, it's the growing pains of a young coach. It's going to be ebbs and flows. You would hope to see more growth. You know, the things that I think are really hard that, you know, when I look at specifically the Clippers game is one of the few positives that I took away from that, that first half was Romeo Langford. And then he has a DNP in the second half. And it's really hard to fathom, you know, especially when we talk about, hey, listen, we get it. You're defensive minded, you're defensive focused. How does a guy like Romeo, who's injecting not only defense, but energy into a team that was lacking it, that eventually, you know, kind of rallied around it to a, to a certain degree out of desperation in the second half. How does a guy like that not get any more minutes, even, even just to continue that energy and get, you know, give Richardson a breath, give Schroeder a breath or give somebody, you know, an opportunity to, to re-get their steam so that you can keep that high level. Know that you have a steep hill to climb that you put yourself in. It's stuff like that that really just leaves me me scratching my head and, you know, and, and, and honestly filling up my cup a little bit more with an additional drink. I mean... <laughs> I wouldn't mind a drink. It's not just it's not just Langford either, though, right? Like Neesmith just doesn't get any looking in the second half usually, unless there's an injury. Like Neesmith to me has been quite reasonable. I wouldn't say he's been good because the defensive lapses are still there. You know, he's a little bit over eager. You catch him out of position quite regularly, but he hustles. He throws his body on the floor. He jumps into driving lanes to try and draw charges. He's trying to get pilfers he's trying to steal guys luck and trail he's always super active right up on the guy's hip and then on offense he's constantly moving he doesn't like standing around he'll he'll lift out of the corners then he'll shrink back into the corners then he'll cut so Neesmith's not really getting the opportunity either and then you know you go Peyton Pritchard I can understand Pritchard a little bit more size deficiency not being the most um trustworthy defensively but this is a guy that was not dominant but very very good as a rookie and Udoka's just not giving him a look in and uh, to be quite honest with you if they were winning I'd be fine with it but at the moment you're not winning regularly it's very inconsistent mm -hmm. so I'd much rather be inconsistent while developing young guys than inconsistent with a bunch of veterans that's just my personal opinion which leads us directly into why we have fake trade Thursday 
and Adam, then I think I, before we transition, can I say one more thing on that? You may indeed. Okay. Um, so I was watching the Miami Heat game versus the Bucks. Okay. And a perfect juxtaposition in contrast between Ime Odoka, who's a new coach, and Eric Spolstra, who has been in been in the game for a while now. Did you see the lineup that the Miami Heat won the game with down the stretch? They played Kyle Lowry, Max Struess, some literal guy I'd never heard of at center. Um, and then like two other they didn't have Hero on was the court. It they, on the court. they had um Cody Martin on the court or whatever Martin uh, was on. Caleb, there. yeah. So Caleb Martin on the court. And he didn't make any like he didn't put Hero back in the game down the stretch. He was like, My guys are rolling right now. My young guys are killing it. And the Miami Heat beat the Milwaukee Bucks with Kyle Lowry, PJ Tucker, and three bench players. Right? Max Strauss, who was on the Celtics. I don't know if you just said that. I, I kind of um it, it kind of went out for a second. But like what why can't we trust our young guys to win some games for us? Why can't we trust our young guys to just play consistent minutes we're not even developing them as you're saying and that just speaks to like the growing pains of having a first year head coach whereas like when you look at Eric Spolstra when he first started if you remember they were there was all that talk about is Pat Riley going to come out of the front office and is he going to start coaching again just like there's talk should Brad Stevens come down to start coaching the team like it's going to take a while you know we have to keep things in perspective it's a reactionary society that we're in but you want to see a little bit more um, flexibility from Ime. And as we've said before, he's stubborn in his ways. And we, we just need to see a little bit more Neesmith. He doesn't deserve to play over Josh Richardson, but he definitely deserves to get a few more minutes a night. You know, And this is why you and I, Adam, at the beginning of the year, we're like, it makes sense to give him a starting role because then he knows he's at least getting those first eight minutes of the first quarter every single night. And you can develop him along with the, the guys. If you turn him off the bench, you never know when there's going to be that right time for him. Um, but with that being said, go ahead, man. Take it away. Sorry for cutting off your perfect transition because that was a good one. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. So I want to start with this. Um, and by the way, just so you know, I completely agree. But I think uh, just to wrap this up, I think that Eric Spolstra has far more job security than what Ime Udoka does. Like Spolstra can have a bad couple of months and no one's going to be saying fire Spolstra. Yeah. Udoka's have the bad couple of months in his first few months as a head coach and everybody's already like fire Udoka. And I think that um, that job security gives you the ability because you either come into a job for one of three reasons. You come in because you're there to develop young talent on a rebuilding team. You're there to take a team from a rebuilding team into a borderline playoff team or you're there to challenge for, for a championship. And each job has its own kind of like... Um, it's to-do list, it's job requirements. But I, I feel like the Celtics feel like they're contending teams when the rest of the world feel like that you're kind of in that rebuilding back into a playoff team mode. And maybe Udoka was the rank higher because of where they're actually at. We don't know. We'll see where they are. Now, to transition back into these trades that could get them into championship mode, just saying, not all of them will. I want to start with the one that, um, that was floated by ESPN yesterday. So, I know that uh, our boy John Lyle, what's up, John, you comment most weeks, but uh, John Lyle's saying they've got to make a run at Sabonis. We will talk about that, so make sure that if you're still watching, you get in on the comments when we get around to Sabonis. At the moment, though, we're going to start with what ESPN floated for Damian Lillard. So I've got it up on screen here. We've got Portland get Hernan Gomez, Horford, Neesmith, Pritchard, Schroeder, 2022 first-round pick, 24 first-round pick, 2026 first round pick that's top protected in 2026, top four in 27, unprotected in 2028. And then obviously that 2028 pick if, the, if it doesn't um, convey in 2027. And Boston get Lillard, Ellaby, Macklemore, Snell. I like Tony Snell, to be fair. I think he'd be a good pickup and Cody Zeller. How do we feel? Uh, I, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Okay. So. Okay, so from a Celtics perspective, I feel like you pro like we were talking about this before we came on the Damian Lillard contract. It's just worrying. It really is. You know, as good as he is or was, I don't want to say was yet. It's not. It's too early to say was. But struggled at the Olympics. Struggled to start the season. Now he's got this abdomen injury, which apparently has been a thing for four years. That for some reason has not been taken care of via surgery, rehab, whatever. I don't know how it's lingered for so long, but he—I mean—he's been pretty darn good the last couple of years up until right now. So I don't know if we're hitting that—you know—that that hill that you hit where all of a sudden you're on the downslope with Damian. I don't know, but we we very well could be. 
Because I think that trade that you just that that's laid out, in theory, the Celtics kind of should take a gamble on it because you're you're giving up the picks. But I don't think any of the players really have a ton of of, of future value. Wancho, whatever. Al, you know, we know he's not in the long term plans, at least at that contract. So you got to if he's going to be part of the long term plans, already thirty five. So you can kind of write that off. Peyton and uh, and Neesmith. You know, I think Pritchard has a place in the NBA. I think it's probably as a backup point guard. Neesmith, wild card. No idea what he is. I would gamble on on his future to bring in a guy like Lillard. And Schroeder, that's kind of just giving them an additional piece that they can go flip for for something else. He has no, no, no value to them long term. And Lillard's taking his minutes and more anyways. So you're really just kind of giving up those those four first-round picks. So I think in that vacuum, it makes sense. But the contract scares the heck out of me. And on the flip side, I don't think the Blazers have too much interest in that deal. I don't really see there being, unless they're just wanting the picks, but also I think they're going to then ask for a whole bunch of swaps. They're going to essentially ask for the James Harden package, which includes, you know, trying to make it seem like you potentially could get seven picks. I I think the Celtics may take a swing at it, but I would be tentative in doing so. And I think the Blazers would, would say no to that package. So we've got my boy Cody on here, man. Cody's Cody. Cody's a legend. He's in Celtics Legends group chat as well, so we should all know Cody. I think Dame is just redundant. A fantastic scorer and is a top 10 player in the NBA, but we've got two guys that do his job on offense. I couldn't agree more. More importantly, I think Will kind of touched on this as well. The two guys that the Celtics have that do his job on offense are not going to be earning 40-something million. What is it, 48 million at age 34? That's the end of his contract is 48, so it's escalating up. And like, I just think that, as you say, the abdominal injuries and you say, like, we haven't heard about that before. The reason we haven't heard about it before is because Damian Lillard wanted to secure a contract that paid him for 70, like, you know, 48.7 million for, on his final year of a contract. So you don't have an abdominal injury until you sign that deal. You, you, you just tough it out. That's what you do. We're talking millions and millions of dollars. Why injury? I don't have an injury. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not going. I'm not in on the Dame Lillard trade. I understand everybody likes the star names. I understand that that makes a big three. But as we all said before we came on the show, it very much feels like another Campbell Walker thing, right? Like you know, a guy with um, a bunch of mileage on the clock, got a bit of a history of being this Iron Man guy. Slowly start like just shows the, the slightest sign of decline. Boom, Boston are interested. You don't. It's just a, a bad cycle to get yourself mm-hmm. into. Greg, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I mean, I would not be surprised if Damian Lillard proved everybody wrong and got traded and ended up like being part of a championship team. I don't think that's the question, right? I think Lillard definitely has that top ten player potential. Um, the all we're saying is that it's a very risky contract to bring him bring aboard, you know, and he's getting close to fifty million dollars and wants this extension and everything. Um, you know, I think his game could actually age much better than Kemba's did. Dame's never really been someone who relied on like super quick twitch muscles to get to the, to the rim or anything like that. He is more explosive than you might think. He has that like random dunk once a year where you're like, whoa, Dame did that. But you know, he, he shoots from range. Um, he's always going to be able to rely on his pump fake to create space for himself. Um, I think he's going to age better than a lot of people might expect from him, but I don't think he's necessarily going to age like Chris Paul aged where like his, he's like fine wine, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, Herman Young says I'd rather have Sabonis and uh, Brogdon. I don't think Brogdon can be traded this year. He Not until the summer, yeah. yeah. He, got, um, he signed a contract extension during the season, so the yeah. CBA stops him from being traded until the summer. Yeah, yeah. But Sabonis, you know, Sabonis, Sabonis is definitely going to be interesting. I think we're going to talk about that later. Um, there was one. If we're if we're cool moving on from Dame, you guys cool moving on from Dame? Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. So on. Um, so friend friend of the pod, Jonathan Sharks. Um, he just wrote a piece recently on uh, the Ringer where he was talking about Donovan Mitchell and how the Jazz should hand hand the keys over to Donovan Mitchell, and he theorized that Mike Conley should be traded. Um, and the one trade partner that he mentioned in his article was the Boston Celtics because he was theorizing that the Jays need a more facilitative point guard to go along with them and that Mike Conley might be of interest. And to make contracts work, the one guy that he said he would want to see next to Mitchell was Marcus Smart. So Marcus Smart would be the main piece going out. And I think we would probably need to put um, Josh Richardson's contract in the deal and maybe one more. Um, so in a, a deal centered on Marcus Smart and then whatever contracts without giving up like a real piece to go along with that, would you be cool with Mike Conley 
on the Boston Celtics. I mean, I would, but the age is still the issue for me, right? Like, you're not getting a long-term point guard then. You're getting a few years and what kind of... I I genuinely don't understand why the Jazz are considered moving on from him, considering how well they're playing and how well he's been playing. Um, I just don't see why they'd feel the need to move on from Conley. Maybe if they don't do anything this year in the playoffs, they decide to move on from him. But how old is he now? He's got to be like, what? He's in his mid-30s, right? He's not No, he's him. like 31, 32, I think, he's, right? Uh, I, I mean, he was. The, I'm pretty sure he's the same, same draft class as Al Horford. Same as Greno. He's same as But he was a freshman. Yeah, yeah exactly. But he was a freshman. They were same, all okay. the same draft class. But he was a freshman after he came yeah, out, whereas yeah, Horford was a, junior, was a senior. Right? So he's probably about senior, 32. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I just feel like... I can I can get on board with that as a stopgap while you wait for a point guard that maybe you've really got your eye on that could hit free agency in a year or two. I mean, let's be honest, Mike Conley's a huge upgrade over whoever you've got running the point right now. Um, so I think that from that standpoint, you're still going to get some defensive intensity. Conley Conley can mix yeah. it up. You know, he's a tough he's a tough competitor. Good three point shoot. Well, an above average three point shooter. Um, I Better think than that. What that we get. Yeah, better than what we've got. I think that would be a really good upgrade, but it's definitely not the guy that you you trade for expecting him to make you a champion. And I just, I just don't know whether... Is is Mike Conley the return you want for Marcus Smart, or do you feel there's better deals out there that you can include Smart in to bring some... And that would be the most the main question I ask. Is Mike Conley the best return I could get if I put Marcus Smart on, on, the trade, on the trade market. If the answer is no, then you let Mike Conley move on and you go towards whoever you think is best. Well, here's the thing. Cause, I mean, Marcus, uh, I mean, probably like Marcus Smart, CJ McCollum, and Miles Turner, no one's been thrown in more trades over the last three years than probably those three guys just collectively around the NBA. And I feel like there's kind of a reason some of those guys haven't moved is that maybe their value isn't as high as, as you may think it to be. So I think for me, if I look at it as, and, and Mike, Mike McCollum's contract's a little bit different than, than what it was a year ago where he re-signed for three years, $21 million per year. And so with the, with the poison pill of, of Marcus Smart, I'm not 100% sure how that, that factors into to what you need to move, but I don't even, you, maybe if they want Richardson, you have to do that and you'll figure it out later. But if it's mostly Marcus, figure out whatever else filler and maybe a might even be a pick because let's be real Conley is an upgrade over Marcus Smart so maybe there's some type of protected pick in there if I'm the Celtics I would take that gamble you get this year plus two more years out of Mike Conley before he hits 35 you know that with Al Horford his contract's only half guaranteed or a little under half guaranteed next year you still have roster flexibility with that if it's not working but we've talked a lot about you know having a guy that that is a playmaker that's not necessarily worrying about being that number one scoring option and able to set up the Jays and what that would look like talking about Lonzo or Rubio or someone like that you know Conley's closer to them than Marcus than Marcus Smart is and so you know to your point Adam he is still a good defender he's not the same defender he was probably a couple of years ago but you got to have a little bit of balance like and right now this team is too imbalanced from the defensive side of the ball versus the offensive side of the ball and the skill sets that you need to complement each other that I'm all for if you can do Marcus Smart some type of protective pick and you get Mike Conley I'm in for it Yeah, and I don't want to like, I, like I, I like Marcus a lot. I really like Same. Marcus a lot. I want him to, because um, I know that I, I don't know if people are tuning in for the first time. You know, they might think that this is a show that doesn't like Marcus Smart in Boston that just wants to trade him. That's not what we're about, right? None of us are like, oh, we always need to trade Marcus Smart. We all appreciate Marcus Smart for what he is. Um, great defender, um, heart and soul of the team, and all that can be um, a vocal leader. Uh, when he needs to be. And I think that he he's a overall positive for this team. Adam had some great stats on his um, net positive rating or whatever, whatever his plus minus was this year on the last pod. So go back and check out that last pod. If you want to hear a little bit more about the impact Marcus Smart has had on this team. But in general, this always reminds me of something that Danny Ainge used to say back in the day. I think it was around the time he was acquiring Al Horford and it's Isaiah Thomas and all of them. He was saying, you just want to make moves that definitely move your franchise forward. That did, like, ask yourself at the end of the deal, did we become better by making this deal? And Mike Conley, right, at the, his contract is up when the Jays' contract is up, right? So if you want to say, like, oh, he's a stopgap or whatever, I mean, we just need to find someone that is going to 
maximize what the Jays do for the, the the remaining portion of their contract. Like that is that is the timeline that we're all on right now. So Mike Conley being 31, 32 years old, I'm not too worried about his age. I'm just worried about is he going to be able to produce at the level that he needs to produce um, with, within the next couple of years. And if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said no because Conley was really struggling um, coming back from that Achilles injury. But I think he's bounced back really nicely. That three-point three stroke has come along great. And um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in Boston. I don't know that I want to give up Marcus Smart for him, though. That's why my sticking point is I just feel like there's going to be other talent available that maybe you don't feature Marcus Smart as the, the, the primary piece in the trade package, but having him in that trade package makes it all the more likely to get the trade over the line. So I think that while Conley is a great piece, you might be shooting yourself in the foot for future trade flexibility by moving on from, if you exclude Jalen and Jason, probably your most tradable asset. And I just think that if you do that, you're never going to get the return on Conley in terms of if you need to flip Conley that you would do from Marcus Smart. And that's the only thing that would be holding me back on that trade because I do think that Conley is an upgrade. Now, do we have any more from any other analysts or do we want to go into our own ones at this point? Yeah, let's get into the the people with sources, these three guys right here. (laughs) The only source I've got is hot sauce, dude. Um, So let's just go through a couple of the comments. So we've gone through Herman's. Herman, we're going to touch on some Sabonis and Brogdon in a moment, buddy. Um, We've got Al here saying Bill hasn't signed his extension yet. We'll see how much he wants to play with JT. I genuinely believe that once the Celtics started handing out extensions, the Bill in free agency route just kind of died because the cap the cap space wasn't able to be generated the way it was before they extended Smart and um, Rob Williams. So, uh, and to be honest with you, I just don't think Bill solves a bunch of the problems that Boston has right Sim- now. Similar, similar conversation to what we were saying about Dame Lillard. Like, is he the yeah. right type of guy to, to compliment them? Obviously, we, he... makes us better, but doesn't make us a championship team. Yeah. And then we've got the Jaden Brown's name up, came up in a possible trade. That rumor is most likely the one with Ben Simmons. That was the one that was very, very prominent is the Ben Simmons one. Boilo on Simmons runs and hides from Ang- Cody, man. I've been very vocal. I genuinely believe if you can Boilo on Ben Simmons in a heartbeat, dude, in a yeah. absolute. I mean, it just depends on the price. Where's the price at right now with Ben Simmons? That's that's the biggest thing. I mean, yeah, it I... should be like the beers that we poured at the start when we were doing the vibe check, but uh, I, I just don't know. I don't know what the price would be. But if it, if it was like Marcus Smart plus Romeo Langford plus two first, which is oh, insanely low, insanely sign, sign low. off, sign off. Let's yeah. get that. <laughs> yeah, That's what for I'm sure. Thinking. Yeah, let's get into let's get into our trades though. Um, okay. I, I got a Sabonis trade here. If you guys want to, oh no, yeah, okay, yes. bonus. yeah, man. Go so we'll we'll load up Harmon's quote again. See if he's still watching. Yeah, and you so can go with your Sabonis one. So obviously the the report came out earlier this week that the Pacers could be looking to do a rebuild. They're eleven and six team right now, and you know Miles Turner, Sabonis, and Karis LeVert's name were the ones that were floated around. And so you know I, I tried to think of like which one of them would make the most sense, and which one you know just value wise you could kind of align on. So here's one that I, I sent you guys this, but I, I I changed it a little bit. So in the trade that I have, Celtics get Demonte Sabonis and Justin Holiday. Celtics are sending out Josh Richardson, Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, and a protected 2024 first-round pick. Figure out the, the protections later. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, you know I'm a huge Rob Williams guy. Um, that is my dude. He's injury-prone. He's injury-prone. And when you told me what um, Sabonis' contract actually was, can you, can you remind me of that? Remind the listeners? Uh, three years, $18.5 million per. So this year plus two more at about that price. I don't know if it's escalating or, or de-escalating or whatever. Yeah, oh, look at that hair. See that screen, the, that picture? That's the hair <laughs> that's, that's we're, the talking, hair about, we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Leave that on, Adam. Yeah, go, go off screen again. Go off screen again. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, but with Sabotis, man, like that contract is great. The contract's great. Um, Rob Williams, it would really stink to see. <laughs> really stink to see <laughs> Thank you, Cody. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd really stink to see Rob Williams go. Uh, Neesmith, you know, I like him, but, you know, if it gets an all-star center, you get an all-star center. And who are the other pieces of that, Will? So the Celtics are giving up Josh Richardson, Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, and or Romeo. You can kind of, you know, figure that out. Uh, mm-hmm. And then a 2024 protected pick, whatever that looks yeah, like. Yeah, I mean uh, – it, that that's a pretty good deal, man. I, I don't necessarily know that I want to do it just because I love Robert Williams too much. But if, if, 
if that deal was actually on the table and this, mm-hmm. and I found out that the Celtics said no, like I'm putting myself in that position right now, and I, I'm mad. I'm angry. The Celtics said no to that. Of course, I want Sabonis. Give me him. You see, my only downside on Sabonis is the defense, dude. Yeah, he's like, Yeah, I'm just like, you're giving up. So you're giving up. Did you say Rob Williams in the deal? You did, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, Rob Williams. He, he's, yeah. he's the centerpiece of the deal. Him in the yeah. first round pick. That's that's the main so thing. So you're, you're giving up arguably your most impactful defender that who's a big. Your best defensive big. And he's also probably your best offensive big as well because of the love threat, the passing, the way he can slip screens. Um, and then in return, you get back far more offense, like a, a far superior offensive player in Sabonis, but you lose all of that rim protection mm-hmm. and you lose a lot of that um, defensive versatility and be able to switch him out to guard under perimeter and being able to ask him to um, play a little bit of weak side, low help, man. You lose a lot of the defensive upside by, by trading away Rob to bring in some bonus. And I, while I agree offensively, it makes this team... 20, 30 times better than what it is right now. But defensively, and 20, 30 is probably an exaggeration, but defensively, you lose a bunch. And I just don't know whether I think that trade-off is worth it. Now, the counterpoint that I heard someone make a moment ago was that Rob's super injury prone. And so, you know, you have to weigh up, is 50 games a year of Rob Williams on defense, does that outweigh 82 games of Sabonis on defense? Because I'm not sure. I just think that I think Sabonis would still be good, but it's uh, yeah, it's the defense I, I, that concerns me. But are we not overthinking this, guys? Like, I feel like I like I get it. I look, I love Lob Williams. I I think Lob Williams is great, but like there there has. I mean, I mentioned this earlier. There has to be a certain balance to it, you know. Like, I mean, I think about one of my favorite Celtics teams. We had Eddie House running around out there. He's no defensive stalwart, but you know what? He's playing big minutes in games. Like teams teams win championships with with not having every single one of their players be, you know, an A-plus defender. Now, is Sabonis great on No, but he's an awesome rebounder. He's averaged 12 mm-hmm. rebounds a game for the last three years, so he's not he's not a complete zero being out there. Is he Rob Williams? No, but like you said, Adam, the ability of what you can do on offense, very differently than what Rob Williams brings, but there's a but it, it gives you such a higher oh, ceiling so much with more. the versatility. Like, I think that side of it, when you compile all of that together, that you know, I I, I think at times we we overthink it. And I know Udoka is very defensive minded, so maybe this isn't a trade that he's super excited about for that particular reason. But maybe this is where Brad Stevens has to throw some weight around and say, hey, I know maybe this is what's better for the team. Bring us a little bit more balance. Give us some more, you know, uh, dynamic versatility on offense, and then on defense. I mean, if you have Demonte Sabonis, you're still you still at least in the trade that I just presented. You still have Marcus Smart, the Jays, Al Horford, Romeo Langford theoretically would still be there. So you're not, you know, you're not barren when it comes to having guys that you can surround that do have, you know, a higher defensive upside. So for me, I think this would be a no-brainer. So we've got this quote, this um, question on the screen from Al saying, can't you use the TPE instead? I mean, the thing is that Indiana want to blow it up because they want pieces back. They're not trading Sabonis to clear cap space. They're trading Sabonis to hit the reset button. So they're not going to be happy with trading him away to create their own TPE. It's a little too big, too. Yeah. Or Sabonis' contract, that is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What they're going to... Pause. There we go. I fit it in. So what they're going to do is they're going to want Neesmith or Langford or a bunch or or a bunch of picks or whatever. So while the TP is going to be good, it's not going to be perfect. Here we go. Instead of bidding on Sabonis against 29 other teams and end up overpaying, I would try to get Warren at a discount. So um, that's interesting that Adam put that because Warren was suggested by Danny LaRue in a piece on The Athletic yesterday when The Athletic basically went through every member of the Pacers roster and what they would do with them. And um, LaRue said that he sees Warren as a great fit for the Celtics. Now, my biggest issue with bringing in Warren is, one, he's only played four games in the last year. He got in, like, he, he played those four games in Indiana last year, um, went down for surgery, hasn't returned yet. He's on the end of his contract this year. It's the last year of his contract as well. So any trade you make for him has to be minimal assets going out because he's a flight risk at the end of the year. And then if you factor in the fact that, hey, he hasn't played in, like, you know, 12 months nearly, the 29th, of December last year was the last time he played an NBA game and the amount of time it would take him to get back to fitness 
But when you trade for him, you're not going to get the best version of him. And then you're kind of in this weird situation where you have to pay him if you want to see the best version of him, but you don't know if that best version actually works with what you're trying to build. And that would be the only reason I wouldn't go for TJ Watt. Uh, do you want to get into my trade? I, I, have two, I have two options here. I could do a trade that actually involves TJ Warren, or I could go completely off off the Indiana Pacers. What do you guys want? I mean, did I just kill you, TJ Warren dream? No, man, no. There was never a dream there. Never go, a dream. With the TJ, go with the TJ Warren one, and then we'll hit the other one after. Okay, so I'll, I'll just throw this one out really quickly. Um, so I would trade Al Horford, Romeo Langford, Peyton Pritchard, and um, pick another white guy for uh, Miles Turner and TJ Warren. So Horford, Romeo, so he gets to go back to Indiana. Peyton Pritchard, so he can play in Indiana, and Indiana fans can love him. And just give him Sam Hauser, right? Give him, give him Sam Hauser for uh, Miles Turner and TJ Warren. And this way, the Celtics, um, try something out, man. Miles Turner and Robert Williams. I know Cody actually just said, is, oh, maybe they're a little redundant on defense. Defense. Yeah, I, I think they'd also be really interesting on defense, too. Um, I'm going to reference him again. Friend of the pod, Jonathan Sharks, wrote a great piece on uh, Miles Turner. And he wrote a great piece talking about how maybe he's the guy that has actually been underutilized in Indiana. And he's the guy that Indiana should be building around. And we had talked about it. We exchanged some emails back and forth. And we were talking about Turner. And Will and I live down here in Austin, Texas. So we saw uh, Miles Turner at Texas. So we've been rooting for Miles Turner to really make it in the NBA. And I never really thought that Turner had another ceiling, but Sharks wrote a really good article. Um, and I, I, it, it persuaded me, honestly, to think about what he might look like in a different system, what he could look like under Ime Adoka, what the Celtics would look like with two young bigs who can both switch, who can both block shots at the rim. And Turner fits a need in terms of the offensive end where he can stretch the floor a little bit and shoot the three. So he offers some of what Al Horford offers um, on the offensive end. And then you get T.J. Warren, and you're giving up Al Horford, which stinks, but you're selling really high on Horford, who you know you didn't expect to get too much from this year. Romeo has has shown some signs this year. Peyton Pritchard, I mean, honestly, like I really wouldn't be that upset if Peyton Pritchard got traded. And then Sam Hauser, just to throw the Indiana fans a bone. So the only thing I'd do there is say, can we please switch out Romeo for Neesmith? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay, so we're switching out Romeo for Neesmith, at which point, yeah, cool, because you're going to clear some salary cap at the end of the season when TJ Warren's contract comes off, and then really all you're left with is Miles Turner. And um, I'm completely fine with that. I also think Turner works better with the Celtics kind of defensive system. I think his floor spacing is more along the lines of what Jalen and Jason could thrive off compared to Sabonis. Sabonis can shoot threes too, but I just think Turner... For me, Turner fits the mold of what it projects in Udoka wants to do a little bit more, running that wide offense and then getting that early screening and asking you bit to operate above the break. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm more down for that as long as it doesn't include Romeo because Romeo's a future superstar. And Dude, I, I love Romeo driving out of the corner, going to his right, getting downhill. He's been really good driving out of that left he's corner, been going really to his right hand. Good. And he's so, so jacked now. So my <laughs> question with with this trade is. Give me the reasoning for Indiana do it. Because I, I, I personally don't think that this would be enough for Indiana to do this. Like I, like you said, Peyton Pritchard, not losing sleep over. It is yeah. what it is. And whether it's Romeo or Neesmith, like, I, I, as much as I like them, I don't think either of them are a blue chip prospect that you're like exciting your fan base about right now. Like We're excited because we're watching them day to day. Like We're like, hey, Neesmith mm-hmm. is getting that shot finally. Or... Romeo, to your point, is driving right to left. He's doing this or that. His three-point shot looks a little bit better. He's 15 minutes shooting three a game, you know? Like, it's, it, it, I don't know that either of those are enough. And then Al is, is just salary, really, for, for a team that's looking to rebuild. Like, that will come off the books. But you're Indiana. Like, you're not getting a ton of free agents. So it's not like having a mass amount of cap space is like we're gearing up for a run at somebody. So mm-hmm. to me, I like that. I mean, for the Celtics, I think I like that trade. And Greg, you know, I was beating the drum that I, last year started off on a down note when whether or not whatever the details were of trying to get McDermott and Miles Turner for, for Gordon Hayward when that was maybe a possibility, maybe it never was. But if it was, that was something I couldn't shake all year because I was yeah. absolutely for that. So for me, I, I just I'm not sure Indiana has enough coming back to them in this deal for, for them to, to not find a better deal elsewhere. Yeah, I guess the question is like, 
what is Turner's value? I mean, there have been plenty of reports that Indiana was basically trying to give him away and nobody wanted yeah. to touch him. You know, so like it maybe his value is lower than we think. That's kind of what I was kind of starting. Before they read the charts article. Before they read the charts article. Yeah, but if if they think that Turner is someone that they just want to get rid of and move on from and they want to blow it all up, then, you know, maybe we'll get some bargain basement sales. Yeah, no, that's entirely possible. We've got a comment here kind of just going back about some of the takes that I've had on Warren as well, saying you get his bird right so it's valuable as a long-term asset or in a sign trade cycle. Completely, I think all of those points are super fair. So I'm going to just postulate this to you guys before I throw out my trade and let everyone get on with their day. Um, my take here is that the Celtics have avoided really going deep into the tax. I think that they're going to make a move to get themselves out of any tax payments this year as well. Probably going to be someone like Juancho that ends up gets, getting moved on. And I just don't know if they'd be willing to do that for TJ Warren, knowing that they're doing it just to have him as a trade piece. Because he's not... like So if they, if they bring in Warren along with bringing in one or two more guys, you know, and that puts them as... Well, outside of contenders, like you could, you could see a way how they'd get to the finals. Then I can see every world where having Warren and using his bird rights to keep him long term makes a bunch of sense. But if the deal is just strictly bringing in TJ Warren and that's it, I just don't see the value in that. Even though he would be a valuable trade piece down the line, um, I just don't think that it's worth paying the tax just to have an extra flippable asset. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. Um, you're just talking about just getting Warren outside. Yeah, so if it's just Warren, I, I don't think it's worth it. If it comes yeah. in with like a, you know, if you add him to a Miles Turnout or you do a diff, a trade elsewhere, maybe mm-hmm. you bring in a, Christ, a Christian Wood and then you go and bring in a Miles Turner afterwards, not a Miles Turner, sorry, a, um, a TJ Warren afterwards, then that makes more sense to me. And I think you could talk yourself into signing Warren long-term there. But just Warren on his own, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, with the cap implications, it's tough because that's where, you know, to to Al's point earlier, that's where I think the TPE could be very useful with like, you know, sending out Wancho, but it's still just going to be that cap hit is not going to make a ton of sense. And you don't know who Warren is. So that's where I think a TPE would be the right, it's the right idea for the TPE, taking a flyer on somebody with giving up, you know, less than what you typically would need to for that person's value. But financially, I'm not sure that it works out or, or makes enough sense. Yeah, it's just a long-term tax hit of re-signing him with his bird rights that I think that would be the most off-putting for the front office. So um, I've got a trade. I've been a lot more conservative than y'all. I've, I've very much focused on... <laughs> Greg's laughing because I said y'all. Um, <laughs> um, I've been a lot more conservative than you guys. I've literally just gone for a very big position of need or a, a skill set of need. Not something that would put you over the top, but something that would make you more of a something that are making more of a robust bench rotation. So um, it's quite simple. I'm trading a shooter to get a shooter, but the shooter I'm trading is young and isn't getting minutes, and the shooter we're getting back is going to get lots of minutes and is proven. So the deal would straight up be Aaron Neesmith and Bruno Fernando for Brim Forbes. Now, the only downside to this is Brim Forbes does have a restriction. He cannot be traded before December 14th, but that's like, what, five days away, so I'm sure we'll be fine. Um I just think that Forbes fits everything you need off a shooter off the bench. Yeah, he's not giving you any size, but you're not really losing anything. Like you, you're giving up Neesmith that's barely playing, and you're giving up Bruno Fernando that's barely playing. It gives mm-hmm. the San Antonio Spurs two young guys that they can develop. You know, they're, they're definitely gearing towards a rebuild once Popovich leaves. And I think if you give them Neesmith and... Well, let's just be honest. We're giving you Neesmith and Fernando's just there because it makes it seem fairer. Um, so... so <laughs> So you get Neesmith and you get to work, you get Popovich to work with Neesmith while giving Neesmith a bunch of minutes either. As, uh, and then, you know, the Spurs then have Doug McDermott and Aaron Neesmith. Those two can, like, that McDermott can help develop Neesmith. The Celtics, it's Brim Forbes. And I think Brim Forbes is one of the best bench three-point shooters in the league. Um, one of the most reliable, I shouldn't say best, one of the more reliable three-point shooters off the bench. Uh, I think that works for both sides. I think it gives the Spurs another piece to build around. I think it gives the Celtics a reliable bench option. And so, it's conservative. So uh, so I, I like the trade. I like where your head's at. My only question is, for the, from knowing what we know about the Celtics so far this year, how does Bryn Forbes not end up in Peyton Pritchard purgatory where we just have another undersized guard that can shoot, but Ime doesn't play because they don't have uh, the same type of defense? <laughs> 
I'm laughing at Cody's comment. Yeah, what, what was the end of that sentence? <laughs> yeah, Cody, you meant, yeah, I, was, I stopped listening to Will. Yeah, what was the end of that well, sentence? Well, it happens a lot anyways. But no, so I was saying, how does, so in that trade, tell me why Bryn Forbes doesn't end up like Peyton Pritchard glued to the bench for being an undersized guard that can shoot but also doesn't play uh, a ton of defense or could be seen as a liability on defense. So I think the biggest thing here is that Udoka trusts vets and okay. this is, as, as Jay Cruz from YouTube just put, this is NBA champion Brim Forbes. This isn't second year. Hey, we did have NBA champion Jeff Teague last year too. Just, just saying. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, okay, yeah, you disproved that. Sorry, Jay Crew. So, but, um, go ahead, go ahead, Adam. No, I'm just saying, like you know, I think that Udoka would trust Forbes more simply because maybe to hide a guy on defense, you need that guy to be compliant within a defensive system. You need to know you can trust him to stay on that weak side corner and not venture or try and get himself involved in any possessions defensively. I think Pritchard is very much in that prove yourself stage and he's quite a tenacious, um, tenacious competitor. So he wants to be involved in defensive possessions. He wants to be getting switched on to guys and um, stunting on guys and trying to tag Roman as the weak side low man. Whereas Brim Forbes just ain't about that life. He's going to stay in that corner, just top like a guy if he needs to, and then sprint down for the catch and shoot opportunity. I think that's where my differences come, just age and experience. What was you okay. going to say, Greg? So I would, I think that's selling very low on Neesmith. If, if the Celtics are trying to, um, you know, play Neesmith a little bit more and e increase his trade value. I think there's a world in which you might be able to get more than Bryn Forbes. Um, I'm not a big Bryn Forbes guy. Um, I was thinking back to the playoffs last year. I think his numbers are good, right? He's got 45% last year for the Bucks in the regular season. You know, he, he, when you watch him play, he definitely hits shots. Um, my question is, is Bryn Forbes someone that's actually going to play in big moments? And if you look at his playoff numbers, man, like as the games got more intense, Bryn Forbes got worse and ended up getting three DNPs at the end of the series, right? And his numbers in the finals weren't good. His numbers in the playoffs weren't good. Um, and that's kind of what I saw from Bryn Forbes last year is that he's someone that, yeah, he can shoot. He can shoot a little bit, but can he get his shot off against great defenses? And I don't think that's the answer. Um, bring back <laughs> BDB. Yeah, bring him back. Bring Have back. you guys ever heard Cody's, um, Cody's poem about Aaron Baines? No, I have, but, not, I, also, but I, love I also need to know how you pronounce Cody's last name. Is it Shalafu? Shalafu. Shalafu is not Fo? Yeah, Shalafu. I've always called, I've been calling him Cody Shalafu for about four years on multiple <laughs> podcasts, so I might be wrong. Cody, do me a favor, man. Drop that um, drop that Aaron Baines poem into the Celtics Legends chat so these guys can hear it, please. <laughs> yeah. Or drop it on the screen, man. Um, unless it's just like way too long. Is it? Is it like a sonic? It's like two, three. It's like yeah, yeah. There's two of them. There's um, there's Romeo and um, there's Romeo or Romeo, and then there's um, Aaron Baines. Please come back. And both of them are hilarious. <laughs> I, I love that. I wrote. I wrote a um, a, he's got Bobby Portis eyes take on uh, he she's got Betty Davis eyes. Uh, last year, that was pretty good. I'll, I'll drop that in the Celtics Legends. Too. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, get, yeah, I completely get what you're Brent saying. Forbes. Yeah, I mean, um, I completely get that. Yeah. I think for me, my outlook on it is like, Brent, like, is Neesmith going to get minutes at all in the playoffs? Like, he's struggling for regular season minutes. And like, at the moment, I'm like, okay, so Forbes probably will end up with some DMPs if the Celtics make a deep run. But Forbes would be a huge part of them getting into a deep run because of his bench scoring. Whereas at the moment, Neesmith definitely has the higher ceiling. He's most likely going to end up as the better player, but only if he gets minutes and he's not getting them right now. So I'd rather trade for somebody that would play rather than have a better player or a player with a higher ceiling that doesn't see the floor because the coach doesn't trust him. That's yeah, fair. I think that's fair. I'm, I'm just not convinced that EMA is going to play a guy that might be a liability on defense as we've seen, despite being, being a veteran. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, we could, do, we could just say... Doug McDermott for pay into the TPE, and we'll send you back Peyton Pritchard and two set two for or first. Now you're talking about language. Doug, Doug, Dougie McBuckets is somebody I've had my eye on for about two three years. So now you're talking my language. So Doug McBuckets can be traded for in five days. So I'd do, I'd do Peyton Pritchard, a 2022 first round pick, and then you can create your own miniature TPE like a $10 million TPE as well. So that gives the Spurs a young guy, some flexibility and a future draft pick. And in return, you get Doug McBuckets. I yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. Can we agree on that's the hey, trade that they need to make? We all we, agree. We, we came up with the trade. Call it in. <laughs> Phone it in right now. Call your sources. 
Well, Cold five days. Day. I think we got to wait five days to call, call that in. But we'll get. We'll, 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 drop, we'll drop the paperwork. There's a shop by me. A store just opened, and they sell American food, like um, just like you know, like junk food, you know, like candy and sodas and stuff. But I got myself some Louisiana hot sauce ramen, and um, wrap snacks. You got oh, the wrap snacks. Okay, yeah. Which yeah, wrapper on this? Uh, I don't know. Is that little boozy? Little boozy. Little boozy. But uh, yo, this was this was dope, dude. I highly recommend for anyone in England to drive to a store that sells these. I, I had this just before I came on with you guys. I got to put it in the trash. But um. Yeah, that's fire, man. Louisiana hot sauce. No, I'm going to go buy more. I mean, they were expensive because of the import tax and stuff, but I'm, I'm about to go cut me another 10 or so. I'm just wanted to point that out that it was delicious. Shout out to Raps. Yeah, I, 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 like, I like just when anybody references American things, like American food. Like It just sounds funny to me. Like I mean, people in other countries, like we you know we're calling things Chinese food and Italian food. And then people in other countries, like, oh yeah, I guess I'm American. <laughs> So just a snacks, you're like, I don't like I don't class like food as American, but like snacks, like you know, like free musketeers bars. Um You mean all the crap food that we eat in this yeah. country? <laughs> yeah, yeah, melt duds. Like um <laughs> like thin, things I oh, things I have to go to very specific stores to buy. Like that's the sort of stuff where I'm like, right, that's American candy yeah. because I have to I have mm. to go to a very specific place if I wish to purchase it because it's not on general sale. What's another good American candy we can get? We can get Adam. I mean, anything at Hershey's products. You know, I'm a, I'm a Reese's guy myself, so that's so Hershey's is on general okay. style here. Okay. What about um something like Slim Jims? Like a Slim Jims over there? No, I have to go to very specific places. Yeah, for Slim yeah, Jims. that's an American. I'm just trying to. Please I'm don't. just trying to. <laughs> no, I'm just what trying to figure out like what would be available there. Yeah. What, so what, so, what so my, my wife, like, I went and got some Twizzlers today from the same place because they're um. They're very specific places if you want t- Twizzlers or if you want grapevines. Um, Can I say it real quick? Twizzlers highly overrated. Not not oh, not terrible. a big fan. Terrible. Yeah, I'm I'm just like whatever. I like yeah. um, big red chewing gum is a big thing here, but you have to go to very specific places to buy. Um, I remember when I was a kid, you knew who'd been to like Disneyland Florida or Disney World mm-hmm. Florida because they'd come back with like loads of big red. Like, hey, do you want a big red? I went to America. And you're like, yeah, come you to did. the playground, start selling them on the black market. Yeah, seriously, dude, because it was before <laughs> they got imported, right? So you're like, the only way you had them was if you've been in America and usually it was like, we're English, so it's usually Florida. And yeah. um, people come it, back, like buy one for like 20p, 30p. <laughs> I don't know what Tim Tam Slam means, but maybe that's a reference. I don't know if that's a Slim Jim. But um, what is Tim Tam Slam? I don't know what that is. Is that is that a British thing? It's not a British thing. What's a Tim Tam? Adam, expl- explain yourself. Can it's we Australian? Just do it? So Adam must be in Australia. So Tim Tam is a brand of chocolate biscuit introduced by the Australian biscuit company Arnott's in 1964. It consists of two malted biscuits separated by a light chocolate cream filling in a coated thin layer of textured chocolate. Okay. All so. Right. These look to Shout me, out Adam. All right. These look to me like the Australian version of custard creams, which okay. no American's going to understand. Real, I'm going to wrap it quick. up there. I yeah. can't eat anything with the word custard in it because. Oh, buddy, my... I'm not Australian. No. No, no. Ooh, this oh, happens. This is a common man. misconception. I'm not Australian, buddy. You, just, I'm a, you may have lost a fan here. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm stuck in the. Uh, I'm stuck in hell. I mean, I have a very small island in the middle of Europe that has terrible weather, and they don't let me live in America, so I'm not happy with this country. It's a must. <laughs> All right, then, everybody, I think we've kept you for long enough. It's been like an hour and five minutes of your time. Before we go, before we go, if you're listening live, make sure you go to Apple or Spotify, search Celtics blog, hit that follow button. If you're listening on the podcast, make sure you scroll down to that five-star, hit that five-star button, and write something really nice about us. Make me smile, make Will smile. I mean, when Will smiles, apparently I laugh so hard that I cry because that's what happened at the start of the show. Um, and if you're not, Tim Tam is wildly... I've never seen them, buddy. I need, I'm, I've never once seen a Tim Tam. I'm going to have a look. Though. If I find them, I'm going to um, DM me on Twitter. So if I find them, I'm going to send you a picture because I've never seen these before. Adam, Adam, if you if you find them, you need to send them to to Greg and I. We'll help you pay for whatever the shipping cost is, so we can all eat a Tim Tam Slam together on the next three. <laughs> and, and Adam, I know I know you don't really do it, um, kind of like how we do our pods when we have like the quote from the episode that that becomes the title. 
But like, I would really like this episode to be titled "Tim Tam is widely available in all Commonwealth countries." <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen one. Anyway, I was doing my outro. So yeah, leave that five star review, writing something really nice. And just to before we go, I'm gonna let Will and Greg fight between them for who tells you how to spread the good word of the Celtic Blood podcast. Oh, it's on, it's on me. Oh man! All right, that was um, a very little fight. I'm quite yeah, disappointed. Yeah, this, this I is come unprepared most, for the segment every time, always, so I'm happy to pass it off. Uh, make sure you tell your friends. Make sure you know as we head towards the holidays that you tell somebody that you are pretending to enjoy the conversation with that you should listen to. <laughs> you should listen to uh, the Celtics blog, Celtics pod podcast with Will, Greg, and Adam. And um, next time, you know, tell someone about Tim Tam. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do